brothers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, and it is the end of the month of December. Earlier this week, if you listened on Wednesday, you heard me speak with uh, Laurie Elizabeth about the uh, Mercury in retrograde and what that meant for planning things for the future, uh, what that means as far as our energy and where things are going. And she mentioned a name. She said, Greg, you know, if we could get uh, Chris Largent, uh, he is a master astrologer and he could actually read the stars with when you were born, figure out when's a good thing to start ideas, when might be a good time to launch places. And so here we are two days later, Friday, December 29th, getting ready to go into the new year, right? The last show before 2024. And I'm going to be bringing Chris Largent to the show. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about his background before I bring him on. Now, Laurie said that I should just say that he is a philosopher, a master astrologer, and he's an author. But I don't think that that is enough superlatives in order to uh, describe him. He is somebody who has been an educator in philosophy for over 40 years. He consulted with many individuals and not just an author, but he has five books that are available. Uh, you can find those on Amazon and anywhere you find books as well. So we definitely want to point you in that direction too. So uh, philosophy is something I'm very passionate about on this show. You hear me talk about the allegory of the cave and what that means in relationship to the conversations that we have, what we don't know versus what we do know and trying to accept new realities. And so I'm excited for this conversation. It's going to be great. So without further ado, we're going to welcome both Chris Largent and Laurie back onto the show. Chris, welcome to America Bolden for the first time. Thank you very much, Greg. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here too. And Laurie, welcome back. It's my pleasure to be here, Greg. Thank you. All right, let's get straight into it. So Laurie, you and I were talking about Mercury in retrograde, and I was asking you about my birthday mm -hmm. and what that meant for opportunities in 2024. And you said, I had to get Chris on. Chris, <laughs> we'll start with a baseline conversation here on astrology. Does astrology really matter? when it comes to launching new opportunities into a new year, or is this just a uh, mumbo jumbo? You've become a master astrologer. I know you know that it matters, but I need you to explain it to me and my listeners, please. The easy way of thinking about it is in the ancient world, right through the Renaissance, people were extraordinarily strategic. They didn't depend on external authorities most of the time. And so they used every tool they could get their hands on to say, how do I get through my day? How do I get through the month? And there were lots of things. Astrology, every indigenous culture had a symbol system that was similar to that. Uh, the people did numerology, but they also did a version of psychology. And that's what Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychologist, got, discovered about astrology, that it's a great personality profile. And so what goes on with astrology is that it's it helps people read patterns and processes. And what people are usually surprised to find out is most of the famous scientists, artists, and so on, were astrologers or used astrology, including Isaac Newton, for instance, a whole from Plato to Isaac Newton, and so on. Even I was surprised to learn that when a mainstream uh, historian, the guy published a book only a few years ago and was um, interviewed in the uh, one of the New Yorker one of the New Yorker issues, and so I went and looked it up, and I thought, "Wow, it's 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 true." 
<laughs> but it's really thinking in patterns, Greg, the same way as we're coming to the end of a year, we're thinking in terms of patterns for a new year. And we have an idea of the kinds of patterns that work in our lives and so on. What astrology does is it uses patterns that were developed from a very long time ago, correlations between planetary positions, the same way we might talk about clouds in the sky for we're meteorologists and how people behave and move around individually and socially. Yes. With that in hand, uh, astrology got more and more and more specific when a person would ask a specific question. And so, but because these people thought in patterns, the beauty of the thing is that they would take the pattern and apply it to themselves. So one of the kind of friendly disagreements I have with some of my fellow astrologers is they'll have a client say, can you tell me what to do? And the astrologer will sometimes tell them. And I'll say, oh, dear, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. What I'm going to do is describe the kind of weather, give you a kind of meter, you know, astrological version of meteorology. What are the trends going on around you? I'll jump in with an example because I hope your listeners keep this one in mind. The planet that usually symbolizes how fast we move around the society is Jupiter for a variety of reasons. Every 12 years, it goes into the sign of Taurus, which it did last spring. Jupiter gets out of Taurus on the 26th of May of 2024. There is no year that you should work less, right? Jupiter in Taurus is the least ambitious, most I'm gonna just sit back and goof off kind of year. And every year when Jupiter goes into Taurus, I have people saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. Am I depressed? Am I discouraged? Am I dying? I just don't feel like doing anything. No, it's Jupiter in Taurus. Go get some ice cream, have some fun. And the key pattern here is it's one of every 12 years where it says, find your natural rhythm, slow down, process the past, integrate, heal, connect with nature, connect with your body, and just really get a sense of how the world works around you in a very relaxed way. And since we have a whole lot of ambitious people in the culture, that's, that's always a tough pill to swallow. What, what's it saying about energy right now at the end of December? And the, the reason I'm asking this is uh, I'm noticing that people are a little bit crazy, a little bit manic, a little bit emotional. So what's going on in astrology right now? This is a bigger picture. Astrologers have so many big aspects happening right now, Greg, within the last year or two, that most of them just throw up their hands and go back to the specifics of people's lives. But essentially, what happened in, um, even though it started in the winter solstice of 2022, we kind of returned to the energy of the Renaissance, well, the Renaissance is about art and literature and music and beauty and harmony, and politics is very secondary. But Americans are very involved, mostly thinking that, well, politics should be the center of your life. But the Renaissance says, no, it shouldn't. My favorite thing is name three famous politicians from the Renaissance right off the top of your head. Most of us will come up blank. But if I say artists, people say, oh, that's easy. Leonardo da Vinci and Raphael and Michelangelo. And so it's a time when art was the center, right? The next thing is that in the spring, summer, and fall of 2022, all sorts of things shifted. Probably the most important is that the five-pointed Venus star, though the Venus star point changes every uh, several months, eight months or so, the, the whole five-pointed star slowly moves backwards uh, every hundred years. And in 1924, it went into Scorpio, and we had all that depth psychology and deep physics and so on, but we also had world wars and dictators. And at the end of this Venus star point period, people are pretty tired of that. 
and pretty worried about it. Well, on October 22nd of 2022, they could start breathing a little more easily because the Venus star point shifted into Libra for the next 100 years. And so all that deep Scorpio stuff is slowly going to re be replaced by everybody connect more positive ways. And if you're not related to that person, that's not a person in your tribe, go ahead and leave them alone. Beauty, harmony, play, fun. And so as Laurie knows, we joke about this. We have a bunch of margins in the world. We're strategic, responsible, hardworking, effective, get the job done, get out of bed. And now we have to figure out what Venus means, right? Okay. Uh, wow. I, I don't know exactly what that is. But what happened in the, also in the summer of 2022 was, and it was, uh, there was an astrological aspect to it, which I'll pass over because it's a little complicated. But a very, very, very old uh, native uh, prediction kicked in. And the prediction, based on an old native tradition that the earth is involved in a massive transformation from a very controlling dominator mentality to a more holistic partnership spiritual mentality. And for that, I just used Rian Eiser, the famous anthropologist distinctions from a book called The Chalice and the Blade. And so in this transformation, they always said, when you get near the end of the transformation, and you start, you start building what they call the higher earth or the new earth, not everybody is going to want to do that. Not everybody wants to get on that transformation train. But the people who do are kind of creating an entirely new sort of world. And we, we finished that the first year of that. It's always a seven-stage process, which is a long story. But the short form is humans tend to create in seven stages. And Chris, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I want to take this in steps because you're given some great information here. Okay. But I want to apply it to the overall conversation. So if we can pause into sure. what you just stated um, and then build out from here. So what you're telling me is it's well known in uh, academics like yourself that we're at a time period where people have a choice to make whether to rise above with the energy or get caught in the ethos below. And what I want to ask you is, since we're talking about politicians, we're talking about artists, the Renaissance. How much of this do you believe that the people that have power in the world understand the cosmos, understand what you're talking about astrology, and they're trying to trap some people into a lower ethos uh, rather than taking their uh, ego, putting it in check and rising above into this new energy? How much do you th feel that there are energy vampires holding people back uh, on purpose versus letting people rise? Does that happen or what, what have you studied? The essential... The old prediction that of the two Earths was set up on the idea that, um, and it's very old, and the Hindu dating makes it 864,000 years ago. Astronomy makes it about 900,000 years ago. It's just as the, the genetic code that this very uh, negative mentality was drawn here. The basic philosophical piece is the belief in separateness. And if I have an absolute belief in separateness, and I'm, I've got all kinds of trouble, either I'm headed back as a mystic to be one with the whole, or I'm going to be a pain in the neck to people, right? So that kind of, I'm going to be a pain in the neck to people. If, I'm a, if I have an extreme belief in separateness, an extreme one, and I get very violent, well, the person in my way is just in my way. They're not really a person. And so my kind of my work with indigenous cultures brought out this idea that yes this controlling mentality is out there and we're we've been transforming it for a long time and it's intentional about trying to control people 
In fact, I used to have native elders that would always put out their hand and I think, okay, I know where this is going. They'd put water or sand in their hand and they'd say, they'd say, if you're a supported person, you're supporting, it'll be fine. The minute you try to control and they close their hand, everything falls apart and, and you can't do it. So what ha is happening now is we're coming to the end, the last few stages now, how long that takes, decades, centuries, I don't know. But the prediction always was around this time. Uh, first of all, the native elders always said to me, nobody's going to like 2020. Just get used to it, right? But there's going to be this recovery for a few years. And during that time, people are going to do exactly what you just said, Greg, rather elegantly. They're going to make choices. and But there are going to be all kinds of thought forms and so on. They're trying to prevent that. Now, that's the way that metaphysicians talk about it in my universe, because my publishing company was Hazelden, the recovery press. So when, I, when I'm in consulting in DC, which fortunately I don't do anymore, um, what I'm dealing with are a lot of people that appear to me to be uh, wealth and power addicts. And they think, addictology, they think just like addicts. That means in my universe, a whole bunch of traumatized, unhealed, traumatized people. Well, of course they're going to do that because that's what addicts do. And so anybody who gets caught up in the wake of an addict is looking for a serious amount of lower earth trouble. <laughs> that is uh, really well stated because we were just talking yesterday, Laurie, uh, or Wednesday, about social media and mm -hmm. how it's an addictive cycle where people are thriving on the negativity. And, and so, Laurie, you just made that point. Um. All right. So if we know that there's this negative energy that's out there, we know it's our time to rise above. There's something that concerns me that I've interviewed individuals about, and I'm curious if you've heard about the earth catastrophe cycle. Yes. Are you aware that the earth catastrophe cycle is due uh, within the next several decades? Mm -hmm. Okay. What does that have to do with astrology? Well, usually astrology will gauge by 250-year periods relative to Pluto, which is the planet of um, death and rebirth and regeneration and so on and destruction. And what will happen is down through history, and history is much more complicated than people think. A lot of times they will read academic historians, which is not the way to go. I love some academic historians. I don't mean to be harsh to them because they're my colleagues. Um, but uh, history is much more complex than that. And what you're looking at is a, a cycle of during the Great Transformation when there would be uh, an attempt by the controlling mentality to get very, very controlling and usually try to harm the earth. Now, Graham Hancock did a really nice eight-part series on this, which finally got on a major channel. And mm -hmm. he pointed out what, you know, almost all the native... Uh, elders that I know would know that 12,000 BC, uh, something hit the earth. And he talked about how people went underground and it took a long time to recover. And he identified as a, as a comet uh, hitting um, North America, as I believe. And it, it's accurate as far as it goes, except for one thing, which is where the public is going to have a little bit of trouble. And that is that the public is not aware that until the 1900s, the assumption in the world was all planets are occupied. Uh, there's this powerful interaction going on that, um, for instance, the Mahabharata, the epic of India, has um, non-planetary, non-Earth people landing and, and having all sorts of interaction and so on. 
the history we're dealing with is a galactic history, and because it's now a lot of it's being dumped on Gaia TV, people are getting up to speed with it. But 12,000 years ago, what really, 12,000 BC, what really hit the Earth was a kinetic energy weapon. It was a comet that had been speeded up because the Earth is way too intelligent to be hit by a, a meteor. And that's the other thing. We underestimate the intelligence of the Earth. It's a brilliant thing. Um, and this is what we'll learn. The minute we get galactic again, we'll realize that the planets are brilliant. Living organisms. Yep. Yeah. But the, the kinetic energy weapon did a serious amount of damage. And it was one of many times when during this transformation, the controlling mentality said, we, we got to stop this. And the cycle, of course, fits into certain patterns. But at the end of the Great Transformation, when you one of the things about the Upper Earth prophecy to the Lower Earth is um, the creation of the Upper Earth is also the end of the Great Transformation, which means it's also the end of the what's, what's called the catastrophe cycle. I think the Earth would more accurately say the kind of attack cycle during the transformation. Um, but part of the issue here relates to all of the aspects that we have now that are just huge. I mean, it's in the same couple of years, we had the Renaissance energy, which I mentioned, we had the Great Age of Music energy, and we had the American Revolution energy, all at the same time. And if people want to rise above that, then that can change that pattern. And the key to that, which is a last thing I'm going to say because this is going on too long. Um, the key to that is if we take seriously a holistic holographic universe, then each being reflects the whole. And that means all of my character traits, everything I'm doing creatively, that reflects the whole. That is the real power. The qualities, and we have the same with animals, plants, stones, those beings, that's the real power and that they reflect the whole. And because we have the golden proportion as a universal constant, that means that all of the things move toward beauty and harmony. All the problems get solved. All the patterns get worked out. And then the catastrophe theory has, on the higher Earth, subtle changes, middle Earth challenging changes, lower Earth's really devastating changes. Have you uh, read Michael Talbot's The Holographic Universe before? <laughs> Yeah, I taught uh, I taught that back in the '90s, where while well, Michael had just written it and was dying. Oh wow! And um, and so it's interesting because I taught it in in Delaware and, and with a that my then wife and, and a co-author, wonderful, wonderful woman. We're still great friends. And um, what happened was he he died not too long after that. And so we taught it over and over again, and we thought, well, 15 people are going to show up at this Sunday morning talk in December or January. We had 90 people show up, and it's been a hot topic ever since. And an old friend of mine, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, is sometimes involved in UFOs. And I, I used to do Linda's chart. We'd have these long conversations and so on. And I heard her on uh, Gaia talking to George Nury, um, who's nice enough to interview me for one of my books once. Um, about the holographic universe. Well, I tried to get Linda interested in that in the 90s, and she was investigating 12 things that she always does as a reporter. So she was flying on it. She talked on the Nuri show about, about holographic universe, was flying back and ran into Bud Hopkins, the guy who's famous for, for uh, the hypnotists who got all the uh, um, abductees. He's the one who worked with abductees. And he happened to say to her, Linda, you didn't know that Michael Talbot was one of my clients. He's and the idea for the holographic universe was given to him during an abduction by off planet beings. And I thought, oh, no idea. Wow. No idea that ever <laughs> Mind blowing. So I've read that book. I've actually had students that said to me, you know, Mr. Bolton, if you could give me a book 
that would change my view of the world? What would right. it be? And I hand that book to people yeah. all the time. Like you just need to give it back. And I've had several students that have read it over the years at college. I actually had a high school senior that was <clears throat> took me up on the offer. And he's like, I got halfway through it and it got too academic for me. I couldn't stick with it. I said, that's okay. You planted the seed to right. understand the rest of the universe yeah. in the beginning of that book. But now I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I had no idea that that was tied to an abduction. And like, yeah. you know, okay. So we could go a couple different places and I want to be mindful of time here uh, as we're in. And that, that's why I feel like we need to bring you back in the future of the cover UFOs, uh, alien <laughs> disclosure, because I have a theory um, and we'll go here briefly if you don't mind. Uh, Tucker Carlson is going out onto his network right now, and he's telling people that if people only knew what aliens were, they would be shook, they couldn't handle it, they'd be put in mental institutions. And I have a theory, I actually know what aliens are. <laughs> and the reason I know what aliens are is because I was uh, raised both with a phil phil philosophy uh, background and theology. theology. So I look at things through a theological perspective with philosophy. And I believe that aliens are evil. Uh, they are a demonic entity and that we can lower ourselves to that demonic energy so much so that aliens can really manifest into this world. Uh, they're around us and sometimes they're within people. And so we ourselves are proof of alien existence. And that's something that I think that Tucker is getting at, but he doesn't want to say because the implications and studies behind that are not something that people's brains can be wrapped around. It would ruin their sense of self and the reality of what they observe around them, much like Plato's allegory of the cave. It's being told, hey, you know what? You are an alien. No, I can't deal with that. Well, you can give in to being an alien. You're having an alien and a human experience at times. Um, in astrology and your studies, am I close to the mark or am I far off? Well, it's the same thing as saying that if you're walking through a New York ghetto, there are lots of bad people in there, and that's going to be true probably. Um, but there are also some nice people. The galaxy is a huge place. So the focus on um, destructive aliens is how the great transformation started here. That is, if, if we think about it simply, Greg, especially with theology, okay, if, if you think the whole unfolds fundamentally through basic principles of yin and yang and then patterns, when it gets to the form eons ago, when it gets to point of forms, you're going to have with the belief in separateness, two kinds of extremes. One is I have to go back and be one with the whole, which is going to have galaxies of very nice people. And the other is I'm going to consume because I'm separate. And that's going to be a, not a huge group, but not very nice group. And in native memory, it's that's what started Star Wars. And eventually the idea is, well, what do you do with a demonic na na nasty group? And for a long time, the idea is, well, let's beat them in the battlefield. Well, that's kind of like pouring gasoline on a fire, hoping that it'll go out. It really didn't work the way everybody thought. <laughs> they fight back. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if you, and the interesting thing about it is, if you look at some of the cosmic disclosure things on Gaia, and the early ones are kind of simplistic, but as they get later, they're very, very interesting. Those, even the the Marines hired someone to go on, uh, Randy Kramer, a super soldier, to go on and talk about it. And one of the things that he points out is, well, if you get the nasty folks, in this case, the reptilian types, and there are also a certain insectoid group that you don't want to have dinner with. And so he'd say, you know, if you are invited to dinner, you want to make sure you're not on the menu. Um, so 
this is a, this is a fairly consuming bunch. So the idea is down through history, at least for the native culture, is that's the point of this earth. It's transforming that consciousness. So in, in the teachers I know would say, and I used to joke about this. I used to I used to do two and a half day weekend seminars on this sub subject and say, let's just start with most of us are not locals. You know, almost nobody is from here or has pure earth human DNA. Right. Um, and after that, you have the the team that is always trying to help out with the transformation. And that and there are lots of systems involved with the Andromeda and the Arcturian, the Pleiadian when they're behaving, and especially the Syrian system, which for native cultures is a sister thing here. And in fact, the Dalai Lama, brilliant guy, a Geshe degree, which is like the equivalent three PhDs. Um, and I've seen him on, on panels with scientists, or he was the only one that got what was really going on in science. But every time he gives a talk, he will work into the talk that Tibetans are from the Syrian star system. Or from Syria. I never knew that. Yeah. So essentially, you have this very negative group that Tucker's talking about, and you think, okay, if, if they show up, you want to you want to watch your back. And then you have the group that's saying, we want to help to transform this culture. And that's the dynamic that the native peoples identify this transformation tension going on. Chris, what's your thoughts about politicians being reptilians and the controlling class in, in light of that type of conversation? Because you've heard before that almost all of our presidents have been part of reptilians from people like David Icke. Um, curious, if there are certain uh, people that come from different star systems, uh, if this is what you're kind of getting at, does that mean that there's different leadership qualities, different roles that the, we're all playing here in this world that have been playing out over thousands of years? In old native cultures, you run into it, the stories again and again, which uh, unfortunately scholars read them as poetically, they say. But yeah, the, a lot of the stories will say, okay, so sure enough, you've got this controlling mentality, it's reptilian, comes down, wants to take over, intermarries, you get uh, reptilian bloodlines, you might get full-blooded reptilians and so on. It's a very old story. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, some guy who used to be a cryptographer of the NSA, so no insider information there, um, wrote a book, Ari Boulay wrote a book called Dragon Power, uh, looking at history through the standpoint of a presence of lots of dragons and reptoids. The difference with Boulay is he wants to he wants to push the idea that humans are basically cloned by reptilians and we should be controlled by them. Well, that's kind of like saying, you know, the Chinese own Tibet, so the Tibetans should be happy with having them be controlled by them. They're not really very happy about that. So, yes, it's something you hear in 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 my the door I came in was native cultures, and uh, okay, so a little okay. A little tiny bit of personal. <laughs> the other door I came in was when people hear about all these nasty cults and so on, and um, child porn rings. That was my childhood. So when I was growing up, I had no uh, kind of illusions about the people running things because they, behind the scenes, had this very nasty sort of sets of things that they do. And even among those groups, there were people who were trying to be nice, but it's you realize right away, okay, there's this very, and that's what saved my life as a kid. There's this very destructive mentality, but over here is a mentality that's trying to do something positive and transform it. And we're in, we're in a, a very powerful 
kind of movement here. And so when native cultures, because I just happened to long story, which I'll pass over, I happened to be around native cultures in those days. And they would say, look, what you're going through is, is what the planet is going through. You're confronting this very kind of raw destructive force that needs to be transformed in something higher. And most native cultures had run into the same problem. As we know, even in even before the age of colonization, they'd been really treated very, very, very badly. Um, and so, yes, we're in that kind of dynamic of saying, all right, let's get real about some of these people in public positions. Hmm. So you see, Greg, this goes a bit beyond Mercury retrograde. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's 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 one of those things, Laurie, where I'm going. Okay, I know I was keeping all my episodes short for the final week here of 2023, and really, I feel like I could do uh, a three-hour show easily with Chris uh, and go into so many different conversations that I've had with guests just over the last year in this world and all the different topics that are available mm -hmm. to us. Um, I mean, just uh, last week I was talking to Chris Michaels about uh, Epstein Island and Terramar and why they wanted Terramar out in the water. Um, and so we've gone into a lot of this. And so I'm digging and I'm going, well, gee, Chris might have a lot of the uh, information that he's handing on to the complete parts of my puzzle or the make the puzzle make a little bit more sense uh, to the audience. And so I hope that everybody's taken all this in. Um, Chris, I'm curious, Laurie had asked me for my birthday, the time that I was born and the location that I was born because I'm launching my Patreon. I'm launching kind of this network concept of putting more voices out other than just my own American Bolden is no longer just with Greg Bolden. It's going to be with a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious in 2024, why those three data points matter so much. And she said that you're the expert. <laughs> the idea in, in traditional astrology is that when you come into this field of consciousness, the day, the time, and the place, is that's your entry point, and it creates this unique vibration in consciousness that resonates with what's going on around you. Uh, an easy analogy is that um, it, at the moment at which we come in to start to play this beautiful piece of music, say Beethoven finally played up to speed by Benjamin Zander, which I, which is a very a real revelation if you're a Beethoven fan. There's this moment at which everybody kind of has to be there playing their instrument, where they are, the time they're there, and the place they are. Uh, sorry, in the the day they are, everybody has to be in the right place. If we think of the great transformation as playing a beautiful piece of music then that's the way astrologers used to think about um, somebody coming in with a certain set of qualities and character traits and so on that reflected the whole but were also unique, just like that person playing that instrument in, in a huge orchestra. So that's why those three points. You can do a chart without time, but there, there's a whole, there are three categories that come together to create a chart, and you, you're missing one category there, but you can still do a lot without the time too. So it, the fact that I know I was born sometime in the 10 a.m. range, you need the exact time for it, correct? The, ex the exact time, the more it it's exact, the easier it is to read a pattern. Now we're in, okay. Yeah, there's a sense in which astrology is a kind of symbolic algorithm, the way mathematicians work. The more information you give them, the more precision, the more they can get the algorithm to do what you want, them, want it to do. Hmm. Well, I will be curious. 
Um, do you know anything about me? Did Laurie tell you anything about uh, my date of birth or where I was no. born? All right. No. How quick are you when I when I say these things? Is it something that you kind of have ideas and ballparks of, or um, do you have the details of your chart? Uh, Laurie, I don't believe I do necessarily. What What do you know, Laurie? Oh, he's January 29th. Um, what was your year again? Uh, 1979. Okay. Um, and I was born Capricorn, in Wilmington, Delaware. Aquarian. Aquarian, right. correct. Born mm -hmm. in Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. And I know that it was in the 10 a.m. Uh, realm, but I don't have the exact time. Okay. Well, one of the first things an astrologer would do, and I'm going to do it in my program, is to um, say, all right, let's let's get a look at it because is we know when you're dealing with a, a January Aquarian, and generally speaking, the Aquarians, first of all, if you have an Aquarian, you're already dealing with something strange because Aquarius mm -hmm. is the one sign in the zodiac that's considered the 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 odd person out one. That and, sounds about right. And, and <laughs> so um, what happens with that is we have this sense of, um, okay, let me give you an example. Almost everybody, I thought I, I need one that's, that you'll enjoy. Almost everybody that did anything um, really a big deal in the American Revolution was a winter sign. They were either Aquarians or Capricorns. You got one Pisces in there. Um, and so if I may do this, I'm going to do, do a quick. Absolutely. Sorry. Go right ahead and do what you got to do. I, I love this, Laurie. This is fun. 1979. And 10 a.m. roughly. Yep. Wilmington. Yep. Wilmington. Yep. So while we're while I'm letting the computer do this, so for example, um, if we look at the if we look at the const the the writer of the Constitution, Governor Morris was an Aquarian. Um, okay. The person who was constantly in touch with him during the American Revolution was another Aquarian named George Washington. Now, we have George Washington born on February 22nd, but the calendar changed in 1752. Washington mm -hmm. was an Aquarian. Um, mm -hmm. Another winter sign, Ben Franklin, Capricorn, Alexander Hamilton, Capricorn, uh, and so on. So with your chart, poo. Um, Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to explain that now. All right. So everybody, um, you just heard a loud, ooh, okay. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but we're about to find out. Thing. Well, you have four planets in Aquarius, Sun, okay. Mars, Mercury, and it appears that the moon uh, is just leaving Aquarius then, so it's coming back. And usually when you have that much Aquarius, you have that very out-of-the-box uh, can see things fairly clearly, um, likes to be creative. So a good example would be Mozart. So once Bach sets up the structure of music, Bach is either an Aries or a Taurus, depending on how you read the chart, along comes Mozart, an Aquarian, and does all this music all around the structure that nobody would even thought of. And thinking, well, how did he do that? Right. Um, same with Russian ballet. You have these long-legged, beautiful dances. Along come this little short Aquarian named Mikhail Baryshnikov, who just jumps into the air and just hangs there. And people don't know how this happens. That's Aquarians. They're very talented. They're very out of the box. And especially Mercury in Aquarius is the smartest, fastest mind in the zodiac. And yours opposes Jupiter, which means it works very quickly all the time, and usually on more subjects than one. It's a blessing wondering. and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> right. And the nice thing to do is just conceive of this a kind of supercomputer running in your head and you'll be fine. Uh, 
Um, and the nice thing about, especially Mars and Aquarius next to your sun, it has, it gives us a lot of energy for, for liberating. So I once saw a film, I don't remember what it was, but this guy walks in and, and it's, it looks like it's a sweatshop and it's really a bunch of women sewing in a cooperative and he doesn't know it. So he comes in and says, you're all liberated. I'm freeing you. And they say, we don't need to be liberated. How about taking more time off? I'm going to liberate you to do that. No, we don't need that either. Well, you must need to be liberated by about something or for something. I thought that's an Aquarian, right? <laughs> exactly uh -huh. what they do. Um, and with that, the, the Mars and the Sun say, we've got to do that, especially since one of the huge shifts in history, if you look at astrological aspects right now, is from kowtowing to an external authority to developing your own internal authority. Well, winter signs like Aquarius are internal authority people. And they'll say, you know, yes, I will value an, an external authority when that resonates with my internal. And so that's a big thing for Aquarius as well. Plus the fact that they're very funny, very goofy, good mimics, um, have a lot of fun with the fact that they think a lot of things are absurd. So for example, um, the, the Buddha, Confucius, Lao Tzu, Plato and Socrates all had a reputation for being very funny. The funniest of the lot was Socrates. A Greek scholar will tell you that Plato never gives him a straight line, so he must have been funny all the time. And I've always thought that's he had to be an Aquarian. Um, famous Aquarians in history will seldom deliver a straight line. Thomas More, who wrote Utopia in the 1500s, he was a Catholic reformer. Erasmus, a famous re reformer and good friend of his, used to say, don't take seriously anything this guy says. He's an Aquarian. He'll, he's joking all the time and having fun with something. But Aquarians are also trying to, as the same Greek scholar said that I was listening to writing about Plato, that they're trying to deliver something very big and serious while also seeing the absurdity and the humor and so on. And Aquarians have that ability to live in the funny and the serious, the past and the future. It's it's quite extraordinary. Um, and you also have a your Sagittarius, your uh, Venus and Neptune and Sagittarius. Those are that. They want to think in spiritual philosophy, essentially, um, and very talented. It's, it's also related to, to uh, Pluto in your chart, which is looking for, in fact, the golden proportion would be a nice summary of this combination that says, yes, I know there are big challenges here, but we've got a golden proportion universe, which means all, the, all that has to happen is for the pioneers to do what they're doing and the rest of the people to get off their butts and follow the pioneers and we're all good to go. <laughs> in golden proportion, 1.68, 1.7. I'm trying to remember the equation, but uh, yeah, it's 1.618 and goes on and yeah, on. It's basically uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, when you look at his artwork, it follows that uh, proportion. And any good logo, like the Apple logo, if you put it into the proportions, they always line up to the golden ratio, which is uh, some that I pay attention to. I'm never satisfied with anything that I do, ever period. Um, it's never perfected. The work's never over. I, I've recorded music, recorded albums, and I go back and I listen to them like, oh, I'd play this different now. I, the work is never done. So you definitely, uh, you struck the nail on the head on a few things that I, I was listening to that I'm going, yeah, that's definitely me. Well, let's, um, let, yeah. me interrupt, let me jump in on that one. Yep. Because every 30 years, Saturn, the planet of how, how well did you just do? Um, goes okay. into Virgo, and Virgo is very demanding. Saturn retrograde in Virgo is super demanding. 
okay, so and when when you had that, it nothing is ever good enough. You always could have done better. Uh, when people give you a compliment, you think I really don't deserve it. You try to deflect it as much as possible. Even when you're, you, and every now and then you'll say to yourself, yeah, "Actually, I did. I, I, even I'm impressed with that." And well, how I many still, years does it stay in that? Because I feel like it's been a while. <laughs> well, you were born with it. That so makes sense. <laughs> it's a huge driver. Well, let me say it. You're never escaping it, Greg. Yeah, I'm not. It happens every thirty years. Okay, so you had it in 1979. I had it in 1949. I have exactly the same thing. And that's why when people look at my resume and see all this stuff I'm doing, I say, yeah, I've got Saturn retrograde in Virgo. It's never enough. It's never good enough. You go back and, and just keep doing more stuff. And when Denise and I used to teach at the university together, I studied teaching, not just to, but to be a master teacher. And I used to watch great ones. And every time I made a mistake in the classroom, I'd come home and moan about it for about a week. And Denise would say, nobody noticed, Chris. It was fine. Nobody else said, but I noticed it. That's Saturn, retrograde in Virgo. So, Greg, this is one you get to live with all your life. Love the it. good news is that you tend to be a polymath. If you're going to do it, you're going to be very good at it. And you're going to do a lot of things. Um, yeah, I, d I discovered the polymath side of me accidentally with Michael Bednarik. Uh, he was a libertarian scholar who was a polymath and ran for president back in 2004. And in my conversations with him, we developed a friendship and he goes, has anyone ever told you you're a polymath before? I said, I have no idea even what that is, Michael. He goes, you have a, a good amount of knowledge about many different topics. He said, but I'm guaranteeing that you're not a master of all of them. And I said, you're right. I'm, I'm extremely knowledgeable in many different fields, but I do not call myself a master of any. He goes, then you're a polymath. You love studying the knowledge of multifaceted uh, parts of nature um, from the philosophical world to the more literal world. And he's correct. Uh, and I find myself attracted to other polymaths. Like um, they're the people that when I find myself in conversation with them, that's the most stimulating conversation that I have. And I'm, I'm normally very knowledgeable. So I can actually already tell that Chris, you're also a polymath. Um, that's someone that kind of stuck out to me immediately as soon as we started speaking. And so that's one of the reasons I also love speaking with Laurie. Uh, she falls into that same category. Um, so yeah, uh, what, what's, uh, what's 2024 look like for me then with what, what signs, what planets are in what planets. And is this a good year for me? Is this the year that, uh, you know, things, uh, I'm happy about and I can be content with. <laughs> I don't think sure you know what that is. I'm not sure about the contentment. A big deal, a big deal in in this year for you is that Pluto goes into Aquarius, and it's it's been peaking in and out, but it goes in. It's out a little bit in the holiday season next year, but mostly it's in Aquarius, which means it will sit on your Mercury, and that's a profound kind of. Uh, deep, deep, deep change in thinking. And that's one of the things about Aquarians. In a way, they're masters of many things. Um, and the mastery just deepens as they get older. So that finally, you can get to a certain age and say, yeah, I'm a master at that. I've been doing it a long time. But finally, I, I realized I'm very good at it. And Pluto hitting your Mercury is that kind of element. But for everybody, Pluto in going into Aquarius is this for the next 20 years, it's again, another cultural tone change. I was talking about the Venus star point going to Libra. It wants to do Aquarian sorts of things. And over the next few years, it's gonna bump against your Mars and then your sun. 
so there will be these huge transformations, but it will also be stepping into the sense that you have the power to change the world. Because if each of us, again, reflects the whole, what Pluto comes along and says is, then it's, it's a complete deal. And so the, the higher qualities, that's the safest way to say it, the higher qualities, character traits, and so on, of powerful culture transformers like you, I think you have an Aries ascendant, another pioneering symbol, um, really change the world all the time. And so one of the shifts would be that the transformation is going on. And if we went back in history, even if we did 5,000, 10,000, 30,000, 50,000, we would see that the earth has, has gone through a massively powerful positive transformation. So if you get to, you get to the point that even when we're talking about, like a lot of people talk about reptilian and reptilian bloodlines, like David Icke mentions this good case, but native peoples would talk about it all the time. They just took it for granted. And what you notice is even that mentality has gone from being very, very destructive and enslaving to now it has to try to fool people. And that's what you notice, Greg, right now. Instead of saying, hi, I'm here, I run the world, you're my slave. Now they have to say, hey, vote for me or buy my product. And they think, okay, we've gotten that far. Right. So that's a big deal next year. Also next year, after Jupiter leaves Taurus in, in, um, in May 26th, it goes into Gemini for a year and your chart is very airy. So there'll be a, way more discussion, way more contact and so on. And in fact, if things, you can do a lot of work, everybody can do a lot of work in January, February, March, because uh, practically all the planets are direct. And then in February and March, they are all direct. But Pluto's in Aquarius and there's a point at which two of the personal planets line up with Pluto. Well, that hasn't happened since the American Revolution. <laughs> right. So you think, okay, that's a big deal. Our and what it symbolizes is our personal qualities, the communities we have around us, our in, in real relationships, those change the world because they're changing consciousness. And I didn't make that one up. That's a no, that's in, in addition to native peoples, you remember when when the new physicists came along and everybody all the everybody's fighting about theories their theories in the 1920s and max planck uh, the grandfather of quantum theory wrote a famous essay and he said the reason you guys aren't getting along is that you're using your intellects to build theories we have to use our creative imagination to change our world picture we have a world picture left over from newton it's a big machine or it's a big battlefield now and james jeans the nobel prize winning british physicist said the universe looks more like a, a big mind than a big machine so consciousness is a power and then the uncertainty principle nobel prize winner heisenberg comes right out and says yeah physics is finally decided in favor of plato we don't have a universe of things we have a universe of ideas so consciousness is the power that's a heck of a shift for humans to get the used to, but it's the sort of thing that was happening in the Renaissance and in the American Revolution to say, yeah, actually the king isn't the power. In fact, he's, he's a pain in the neck. Well, that was a revolution. I mean, we're seeing in many ways another revolution, I think, brewing uh, just mm -hmm. in the world, not just America. Like, yep. you know, Americans are very ignorant in the fact where we think in terms of we're the only people that matter. Uh, it's our values that run the entire world. But I, I think that there's a shift globally in how the world order is supposed to go. Mm -hmm. um, 
And you have people that understand that shift that are trying to control that narrative immediately, which is agenda, you know, the 2030 agenda WEF. You have those that are trying to remain neutral away from all of that. And then you have our political leaders that are getting caught up in all of it that are leading us into directions that may not be healthy. So we may be finding ourselves just in this coming election, facing the next American revolution, facing the next global revolution for where we want to be over the next six years leading into 2030, which everybody seems to have a little bit of a worry and fear and contempt for. Uh, I'm not fearful of it because quite honestly, what's going to be will be, but I am mindful of it that I can help navigate and control what I can help navigate and control, whether that's through my microphone and ideas that I'm bringing to people, or it's just through making peace with my own ego and my own sense of self in order to accept the realities that are around me. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that if you look at revitalization news, for instance, billions of dollars and millions of people hours being spent to fix up the planet. Uh, when COVID, which is a spectacular overreach of a dominating mentality, talk about getting that wrong. I mean, I've even said this to people, you know, you guys should hire me as a consultant. You know, if you want to run the world, at least you need to do it a little more cleverly than that. Anyway, it could produce these great movements in Australia, New Zealand, the Gandhi-like movements and, and so on. And so, yes, I think that's a big deal, especially since the two Earth prophecies, once we discovered that it was a, a, this seven-year cycle, then the, the, if we started dating it from 2022, that means late 2029, the, that those beings are inhabiting a higher earth. They've just finished their, their big stage of this is it, now how do we inhabit it? And so I was talking to a famous futurist who's a friend of mine, and I said, okay, what's the next big pivotal year you're, you're looking at for humanity jumping up a level? And he said, 2030. And he said, and by the way, that tourist prophecy thing of yours is starting to turn up in my trends. Wow. So, yeah, Greg, mm -hmm. I think that's <clears throat> so. I, I don't think we can escape it. There's, there's no, there's no need to, but there's also no, no way to do that. <laughs> can we? I got to be mindful here because we're running longer than I wanted to, but I'm just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when you're bringing up all these topics, it's like you're dangling carrots in front of me, and I can't wait to go grab the carrots and and follow along the rabbit hole. Um, <sighs> 2020, I have an alternative theory behind everything. And this is where I put on my creative thinking hat. I and my wife, we're pretty aligned on this. And this to listeners, I'm okay if you think I'm a little bit crazy, because I have a feeling that Laurie and Chris are not going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> I feel like somebody shifted us into a separate dimension. And we're parallel lines now. We were on a track. And now we've actually like a paper something split us into this other part. And we all know that something doesn't feel right. We all know that we're in a foreign place from where we were in 2019 and before. And I'm curious how that aligns with what you're saying, the two earth and this journey that we're on and whether or not there are individuals that are manipulating that. That was a very common uh, Kind of idea that I heard, which I'm happy about. Mathematicians commented on it. Physicists, a couple of genius whiz kids commented on that idea that we we're in a different timeline. And the native elders that I worked with had said in 2020, 2020 to 2025 is when you're going to notice 
people are going to be either very aware of the dominator mentality and be rising out of it, or they're going to keep getting their tail feathers caught in the fan. Um, so that determined creation through higher qualities and so on and higher consciousness of essentially, Greg, what it does is it, it what pioneers are good at. They create a path for everybody and say, this is we this is the one we think is the best. By the way, you've got a guy over here is telling you that's the best one. We found out that it leads into a swamp. There's a guy over here that's saying, and that runs over a cliff. Now, if you want to do those two things, knock yourself out. But for our purposes, we think this is a good way to, you know, it's got a few rocks in it, but it's a nice way to go. And that's what culture pioneers down through history have always done. Now with this two earth prophecy, it's, it's a little, it's a little strange, but an example I have is I used to do past life regression for the high and noble reason that I do things. I needed the money. And, um, and, and you work for yourself, you know, in the labor department, they also, if you work for yourself, you always, you always need a job and your boss is a tyrant and never get any time off. I said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so this woman was a brilliant past life retriever. I mean, she would come up with things as if she was a professional anthropologist and she just worked at Longwood Gardens here in Pennsylvania. And so in 1992, she said, can I go into the future? And it's your journey, you can go wherever you want. So to show you how accurate she was, she went into the year 2000 and ended up in a scenic overlook in Oregon that she'd never been to. This is 1992. In 2000, she contacted me from that overlook and said, I, I moved to Oregon and got married and I'm here with my daughter, the place I saw in your chair in 1992. But also in 1992, she said, well, I'm going to go farther into the future. I don't know, it's the 2060s or something like that. And um, and I can't believe I bought these ugly shoes. And I said, could, could we get to the 2060s, please? And she said, <laughs> yes, I'm in Oregon, and I'm flying down to visit my parents in Philadelphia. They think I'm on the same earth they are, but I'm not. I'm on the higher earth. And as I, in fact, as I go down, I have to, there are off-planet beings that help me lower the frequency so I can be on the earth where they are to visit them. And I, mm. when she came out, I said, have you ever heard of the tourist prophecy? And she said, nope. And I said, well, that fits something that native elders talked about. And then Chet Snow and Helen Wambach had written this book called Mass Dreams of the Future. And Helen died. And somebody asked me out to dinner once. And I Chet Snow is sitting there with his new wife from France, and we're chatting about things. And finally, I said, Chet, by the way, you and Helen used to have these mainstream things progressed in the future with some variations, you know, like the Mandela effect, that kind of thing. By any chance, have you had two strains going off, even three? And he said, it's so odd you should say that because that is exactly what I'm noticing. So these different kinds of parallel timelines or narratives or streams or dimensions. Yeah, Greg, I've run into that. <laughs> I have a bunch of theories that I would love to engage in a conversation with you on this one, because I think we could put our brains together and come up with uh, some great content here. Uh, I'll tease a few of them uh, with the listening audience right now. And you and I are going to schedule some time to do an in-depth, like we'll, we'll hit two hours when you have two hours on your schedule and I do, and we'll okay. get into all this. Okay. Um, number one, our star, the sun. Our sun is on a frequency. It's at a solar maximum right now and actually powering up the solar maximum. Um, there are people on our planet that understand those frequencies. And when you look up in the sky, you can actually see those frequencies now. Uh, I've been taking photographs of them. That's my research that I've been working on. Nice. I will be giving that to people pretty soon. 
Um, I'm kind of teasing it right now, but there's some dark elements to the sky that I've been doing time lapses on, photographs on, and they actually align with frequencies if you line them up and put them almost as a wavelength. So it cannot be sunbeams. Um, so I think there's some manipulation that's going on right now, either by us or by our star that is changing some things here on earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm paying attention to it. And I'd be love to have that conversation. Also would love to talk a little bit more about uh, a solar micronova and what that could do to the earth in the future and how that aligns with uh, ancients, uh, Sumerians, uh, and the text that they've re uh, we've read from them. Uh, when you talk about the natives, I'd love to get more into what they knew about the reptilians because I raised my eyebrows when you said that. That's not something I had heard of before. I'd love to get into Plato with you a little bit about what I think he was actually teasing in his teachings, um, what we are supposed to be paying attention to that we have forgotten the classical teachings. Uh, I think this would be a wonderful place for you and I to go into. And Laurie, you're always welcome to uh, come join. Uh, I appreciate you bringing Chris onto the show because I've had a smile on my face the entire time. I've really enjoyed listening to all this. this has been phenomenal. What a great end to 2023 uh, to end with uh, one of my favorite people, Laurie Elizabeth, and one of my new favorite people, Chris Largent. This was awesome. Well, I have to tell you, Chris is my teacher. Um, I've been attending his academy where there's a bunch of other people like me who are in like-mindedness and, and seeking to know more and seeking to work out the things that we are experiencing in this changing world. And those two words have never been so true. Um, and so me bringing Chris to the forefront is a natural thing to do. It's his time. It's time for this. And I readily welcome those conversations. And yeah, I'd love to, to participate. Thank you. Well, thank you. This has been great. And also, she talks about me being a teacher. Actually, Classical Academy has somebody like me who comes in and says, here's the subject. Now, let's get talking. And then you have a great dialogue. And we've had done that for years. And it's, it's really... And it is, Greg, I have the same I have the same thing. I'll be talking to somebody about something even that I've read, and they'll look at it a different way. And I'll think, wow, I never thought about it that way. This is very... This is so much fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think we all know the knowledge already. We're born with the knowledge. Yeah. I actually mm -hmm. have, um, I think I talked to you about this, Laurie. I have a memory of after I was born in the crib and having critical thoughts. Yeah. Like I could process my surroundings. And mm -hmm. when I tell my parents about, oh, well, yeah, there is a, a kid in a bubble to my left. I was in an incubator. You guys used to take me and we'd go in. They had like a, a little thing that they put me on wheels and I would see the lights going by. They're like, there's no way you can remember that. Like I absolutely can. And I remember also thinking to myself, and this is the weirdest thought of, Oh, where am I now? <laughs> and I still have held on to that thought of where am I now as one of my first thinking memories of afterbirth. And so I think there's a lot of just knowledge that we have. So asking questions and then going, let's talk. I think little hidden details will come out in those type of yeah. conversations. One of the things that I remember the most in my, in my childhood too, is similar to that. But also just simply, I was, I can't even begin to tell you, I was, I was in diapers, um, but looking at my hand and I have a conscious memory of saying, oh, so this is where I am now. How about this? There's, there's a book about children remembering. It was written by David Chamberlain. The original title was Babies Remember Birth. And it's got all these interesting stories in it. And so it went out of print and I was talking to a client one day and I said, oh, I'm, uh, this book has gone out of print. I'm very sorry. And he said, no, it's back in print. 
it's now called the mind of your newborn baby or newborn child or something. And I said, how do you know? They said, David Chambers, my uncle. And, and I keep having these wonderful positive coincidences. But yes, Greg, you hear that. And, and Socrates and Plato had, had the same assumption. We all know it. It gets drawn out, education from mm -hmm. Latin educari to draw it out. Yeah. So, Chris, one of your books here, The Paradigm Conspiracy, yeah. that's yours, right? Yes. Um, and that was written with Denise? Breton, yeah. She was, Breton. Yep. Yep. we were married for 25 years and woke up one day and discovered we were just good friends. And, right. and she's got a, she's a Scorpio. And I thought that you need to go find the guy you're passionate about, which she did. They've been together a long time. And um, yeah, so she's, uh, we had a lot of fun teaching and writing together. I'm pointing that book out because uh, a few weeks ago on my show, and as we end 2023 here together, I've been calling for people to be open to paradigms and a paradigm shift in their own life. And to also look at what is the paradigm conspiracy? These are words I've never read your book, but these are words that I've used as recently as like three, four weeks ago, um, talking about how paradigms can be used to capture the mind and not allow the mind to be released as well as recapture the mind. And so we need to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so I love these titles of the books. I'm going to be starting to uh, purchase some of them. Mm -hmm. I want my uh, audience to know about them as well. You can go on to uh, any book site and type in Christopher Largent, L-A-R-G-E-N-T. He's got books ranging from The Paradigm Conspiracy, Love, Soul, and Freedom, The Soul of Economies. Oh, I can't wait for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, Tapestry um, and The Best Advice in History. Uh, which looks like you're now going into Greeks uh, teachings yeah. with that. So these are all up my, uh, my alley. You're going to see about five purchases coming your way in royalties, which probably if I know book sales, you'll get a couple pennies by uh, 2024 <laughs> February, but uh, yeah, well, the, the sad thing is the, the first three are out of print. Oh no, I'll get them used. <laughs> they still, the solo economy's paradigm conspiracy. And then we wrote a book on the mystic path called love, soul and freedom using Rumi's poetry, but they're still out there and they're still fun. I'll um, find them. I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. And, you know, for all my uh, bold Americans that are out there that love using their public libraries, I know that you can find these books because yeah. you find me, things for me all the time. So, uh, Chris, Laurie, I wish you nothing but the happiest of New Year's for 2024. All the blessings coming your way for successful, prosperous, good health, most importantly, and good energy. Uh, so that way, the teachings that you have and the knowledge that you have can leak itself out into the world in many good influential ways to have a positive direction for us. Uh, so, Chris, Laurie, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank, thank you, Greg. Greg, and same to you, too. All the blessings. Blessings yeah. and light. Bye-bye. Well, Bold Americans, we hope that we honored your time well here today. Had a great conversation at wrapping up 2023. I hope that 2024 is all the best to you and yours. And make sure you go over, check out Laurie Elizabeth's Seekers Insights on podcast, as well as go check out some of Christopher Largen's books. You can find them used as well as a couple that are still in print. Make sure that you're uh, checking things out and helping to better yourself. I'll see you all in just a few more days as we start the new year. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Be bold, America. Mm -hmm.